Okay, good morning, Boker Tov. I don't know if everyone is in the mindset of getting ready for Pesach, but these uh, parshios certainly uh, do prepare us. And I want to do something a little bit differently today than we normally do. As always, we will provide our overview of the parsha in general, Parsha's bow, and delve into specific psukim. But here today I gave you a handout because I want to go through not only the Meforshim on a specific pasuk, but I want to study with you a halacha lemaisa, practical laws that deal with Pesach night that come from this uh, that come from this pasuk itself, and that is the pasuk of Lel Shimurim, the topic of it being a night of divine protection. But let's first do a brief overview of the parsha, and then, as is our custom, we'll delve into the specific pesukim. So, parsha's bow, of course, continues where we last left off. Last week's parsha had the first seven of the plagues, where Moshe is interacting with Paro, the age-old question that Ramban deals with, and others. How can Paro be accountable for his actions when HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when God is the one who hardened his heart? But nevertheless, he is accountable, not only he, but the entire people of Egypt, when God brings upon them seven plagues. And here in our Parsha, Parsha's bow, we begin with the eighth plague. Now, I think we mentioned last week that really it shouldn't say bow. This is a refrain that's repeating itself throughout these parshios. It should say, Lech, God should say Go. Go to Paro. What do you mean, Bo? But it really traces itself all the way back to Parsha Shmos. Because in Parsha Shmos, when Moshe Rabbeinu is first recruited to be the leader, and he demurs, he hesitates, he rejects, he tells God, it's not me, it's not for me. I'm not the person to go. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells him, I'm going with you. I'm going with you. And that is the sentiment that pervades throughout these parshias, and I would, I would suggest that it's also a theme that should be felt palpably by us. Like Moshe Rabbeinu, when we're on a sacred mission, God is not sending us, we're not on our own, we're not isolated, and uh, we're not uh, subject to the elements, we don't go on our own. But when we're engaged in a sacred task or a sacred mission, whatever the case may be, God says, Bo, come, come with me. I'm going. I invite you to come with me to feed the poor, to take care of the hungry, to do a chesed, to learn Torah, to attend the shir, to deliver a pack. Whatever the mitzvah is, God doesn't say, Leich, you go. God says, Bo, I'm going. I invite you to come with me. So God tells Moshe, Bo, Paro, come. We're going back to Paro again. I've hardened his heart. Now, Rabbi Soloveitchik already noted, by the way, that sometimes the Torah uses the word Akshah, Kasha, to harden Paro's heart. And sometimes you have in the opening verse here on our parsha Hichpariti, Hichpariti, to harden Paro's heart. What's the difference between Akshah, I will harden, and Hichpariti, to harden? You have to look at the root of the two words, Kasha, Kuf, Shin, Hey, versus Kaved, Kuf, Beis, Dalid. Rabbi Soloveitchik spoke about this at length. I am not going to. But I throw that out to you for your careful consideration. Two different descriptions of hardening Paro's heart. We know there's no synonyms in, in uh, Biblical Hebrew. So there must be at least a subtle difference between Akshah and Achbeid or Hechbarati. What is the difference between the two? So Hashem sends uh, Moshe and He tells him, Moshe Nara to go to Paro and tell him how long are you going to be so stubborn, so obstinate, refuse to send out the people. I'm sending Arba, I'm sending locusts. They're going to swarm all over. Moshe... Moshe paints a graphic picture of horrific devastation that these locusts will bring. And then he does something incredible that Ramban notes. Again, by the way, this is just our overview. But in the end of Pasuk Vav, the Ramban notes that Moshe paints a portrait for Paro. This is what's going to happen. This is the eighth plague. It's going to be horrific. It's going to be devastating. Vaif and Vayetzemi and Paro, he tells him, and he books out. Notes to Ramban, 
He doesn't excuse himself. He doesn't ask permission. He just turns around and he leaves. Now, he walks out on the president, the emperor, the king. Paro is the leader of the strongest empire in the world. Vayifet, he turns, Vayetzemim Paro, and he books out. Notes to Ramban, why does he do it? And then Ramban says something incredible. He says, he left Paro to confer with his advisors. He painted a portrait for all those around Paro to see. Had he remained, Paro likely would have been defensive, dug in his heels and said, absolutely not, I'm not letting him go. He hoped that by exiting, by leaving, it would provide an opportunity for Paro's advisors to step up, take initiative and say, are you crazy? Do you know what's been happening? Give in, let him go already. And Moshe understood that that wouldn't happen in his presence, and therefore he left. It says the Ramban, though the Torah only identifies Moshe as leaving, here in association with the Makkah of Arba, Moshe did it with each and every one of the Makos. Because he understood that when you want to have an impact on someone, Rav Simcha Zisel Brody, the Rosh Hashiva of Hebron, learned from this Ramban, when you want to have an impact on somebody, you can't always be frontal, you can't always be confrontational, you can't always be direct. Because if you confront someone and share how you feel or offer criticism or give feedback, the natural tendency is to get defensive. The natural tendency is to reject what the person is telling you. The natural tendency is to dismiss, disregard and turn them away. But rather, a much more effective way is to deposit something on someone and leave it for them to consider. Allow them to meditate, to think about it. I would suggest, you know, email is a very dangerous mechanism if not used correctly, but on the other hand, I think it can be positive. Because sometimes when you want to communicate something to someone, and you want them not to put a guard or a shield up right away, that will reject it. But an email they can read, and maybe reread, and maybe re-re-re-read a third time, and let it resonate, let it sit. Let them consider the points that you mentioned, and the merit of the points, rather than just get defensive. Now again, don't, don't, I'm not suggesting email is always the best way. I think there's a lot of confrontations that happen because communication is taking place through email rather than directly and can be easily misconstrued. But if not email, but in the old days you'd sit and write a letter to someone you cared enough about to want to write them a letter because you wanted them to hear your point and not get defensive. So Rav Simcha points out from this Ramban something incredible. Vayifen vayetzimim paro, Moshe booked out because he understood that if paro was to seriously consider what he was saying... He had to excuse himself and allow Paro to think about it. Had he remained in Paro's face, Paro automatically would have rejected it, become defensive, and dismissed the message with the messenger. Continuing. There's a lot more to say, but again, this is just the overview. So Paro's servants indeed react exactly that way. They say to Paro, what are you doing? Let's send them out. You understand what's going on? Moshe and Aaron walk back in the room and Paro says, go serve, who's going? To which Moshe responds, We're all going, it's a big party. It's a celebration, it's a yantif, it's a party. Young and old, sons and daughters, cattle, property, we're all going. What's the conversation here? Rabbi Soloveitchik said, Paro says, you claim you want to go to worship. So who goes to worship? We studied this two or three years ago. The Kliyakar, Miva Mi'alchim. Who goes to worship? The priests, the leaders, the clergy, those who lead the worship. What, what, what do you think? To which Moshe responds, not in our religion. In our religion, we don't relegate worship to clergy, to religious leaders, to priests, to the Kohanim, to the rabbis. But the, the ability to worship is a, is a right 
and an entitlement of every single Jew, young and old, sons and daughters, men and women. And that's what Moshe responds. When the children are with us, Chag Hashem, the Shem Yishmuel, the Sachat Shav Rebbe says, it should have said, the older and the younger. Why does it say the younger and the older? He says, it's a priority. Who's the priority? If you want to create an atmosphere of Chag Hashem Lanu, if you want Judaism to be a party, a celebration, a yontif, a happy occasion, you want it to be a, a Chag, then binarenu uvizkeinenu. The children come first. Then communicating, passing, transmitting it to the next generation, creating the excitement, caring about our children, that's number one. Binarenu uvizkeinenu. First come the children. So Paro now uh, rejects. Hashem says to Moshe, fine, let's bring the locusts. They swarm all over. It's horrible. And uh, Moshe, Hashem, Paro rather pleased with Moshe to daven on his behalf to bring it back. The ninth plague is darkness. We uh, studied this at length last year. If you want, you can listen on our website, brsonline.org or yutorah.org in either place. And we discussed five or six different interpretations of darkness last year. Was darkness literal? Was darkness metaphoric? Was darkness in the eyes only of the Egyptians? Was darkness in the atmosphere? Was darkness, we saw beautiful Chidush Rim. darkness was egocentricity. That each Egyptian, they didn't, they didn't see their brother. All they cared about was themselves, and that's what it means to be living in darkness. We saw all of this last year. Go look at it uh, if you like. Um, Finally, we have the warning of the, uh, the final, the tenth, the culmination of the plagues, the plague of the firstborn. And then we have, all of a sudden, the interruption for Rosh Chodesh. We're given the gift, the first mitzvah of the Torah, Rosh Chodesh, the capacity to control our own time. Said Rabbi Salavechik, why is this the first mitzvah? Why is it here? Because it's what differentiates a free man from a slave. A slave does not control their time. A slave's time is owned by their master. A slave is enslaved in terms of feeling absolutely burdened, they, they lack time management. A free person owns their own time. That's why we can relate to the slaves, to slavery. Because if we are so uh, technology which is supposed to free us, but instead enslaves us, must-see TV and pop culture, which is supposed to be recreational and entertainment, instead enslaves us. So a free, the, what differentiates the Rav, a free person from a slave is our ability to control time. So the story of our emancipation is interrupted with the gift of HaChodesh HaZelachem, of Rosh Chodesh, a reminder that true freedom is the ability to control our own time. We have the promise of the Karban Pesach, what will take place, and we're told even before we leave about, about the celebration of Pesach, about the mitzvah of Matzah. I leave this to you to think about. We've spoken about it in the past. If you ask any, wake any kid in the middle of the night and say, why do we eat matzah on Pesach? They'll say, we didn't have time for the dough to rise when we left Egypt. That's why we eat matzah. There's only one problem. Before we even left Egypt, before we didn't have time for the dough to rise, God said, when you leave, you're going to eat something called matzah and you'll commemorate this experience each and every year by eating matzah. So matzah can't just be the symbol, the result of the fact that we left in a rush hastily because God already anticipated, built into the celebration of this day in perpetuity, matzah, though we had not yet left in haste. And that's all clear from the Pesukim. So you have to look at, once again, what is the role of matzah, the significance of matzah in the story of Pesach, but I don't want to scare you too much with Pesach, so we'll leave that for another time. Then we have the Korban Pesach, the tenth plague, the death of the firstborn, Paro's surrender, the exodus, they leave at night, 
the additional laws of the Karban Pesach and the firstborn, and of course our our parsha ends with the mitzvah of tefillin. Well, we'll bind it on our arm and on our head to remember this occasion, to remember this occurrence of leaving Egypt. Now turn back to Perak Yudbeis Pasuk Membeis. Perak Yudbeis Pasuk Membeis, page 358. 358 in the Art Stone Chumash. And this is what I want to study with you a little bit differently than we normally do. Perak Yudbeis Pasuk Membeis. Chapter 12, verse 42. So a little bit differently than normally where I, we read the Mikros Gedolos. I provided you handouts. If you're listening online, uh, we'll post the handout online as well. And what I want to do is look at one Pasuk in particular. I want to spend the remainder of our time, the next 45 minutes or so, looking at one Pasuk in particular. If you didn't get a handout, there are up here. And this is a Pasuk which is, seems innocuous and benign. When you're reading the, the uh, narrative as we just looked at it in its overview, you will undoubtedly gloss over it. It seems pretty insignificant in describing the kind of feeling that took place the night of leaving Egypt. But as we'll see momentarily, not only is it not benign in the narrative, in the description of the story, it's significant in terms of the theme and the essence of what Pesach night is about, and it's significant in terms of observances, actual halacha lamaisa, about Pesach night. What is this Pasuk I'm referring to? Perakid Beis Pasuk. Membez says the Torah. Lel shimurim hu l'ashem. Actually, let's go back one more Pasuk. Vayihi. Go back to Pesukim. Go back to, me, to Mem. Verse 40. The habitation of the children of Israel during which they dwelt in Egypt was, the sum total of how long they were in Egypt was, 430 years. That's an enormous amount of time. That's a lot of time. 430 years. And what happens? At the end of the 430 years, right? Right here, we're at the culmination of the story. The tenth plague has occurred. They're leaving. They're leaving Egypt. And the Torah pauses to tell us to give it a sense of context. 430 years they were entrenched there. We're going to study tomorrow night, continuing our Jewish history through wine and beer series. We're going to taste about 20 different types of beer and study the story of how beer is made. That's the small part. The major part of tomorrow evening is the history of the Jews of Germany. Jews of Germany, going back to the 9th century and earlier, until we know tragically um, in the 20th century. And believe it or not, there's 150,000, 200,000 Jews back in Germany today, mostly Russians and Israelis. But there's a long history of the Jews in Germany. And we'll talk about it and trace it tomorrow night as we enjoy the taste of different, uh, different beers, all from Germany, all, all German in terms of the uh, type of beer. So people can be entrenched in a country and then, and then in a very um, harsh way, abruptly removed. So here the Torah is pausing to tell us the Jews were in Egypt 430 years and abruptly it came to an end. We left. Every one of us. Because those that chose not to come perished. So at the end of 430 years, we, uh, it was on that very day that all of the Tzivos Hashem left Egypt. Tzivos Hashem, not just uh, Chabad's youth organization, but it means the, the legions, the army of Hashem. It means the Jewish people, they left. 
And it brings us to our Pasuk. Leil Shimurim Hula Hashem. It's in the handout on the top of the source number one. Leil Shimurim Hula Hashem. And at the conclusion of the 430 years, you know what that night was? That fateful night that they finally left. After 430 years, it can be described no other way other than as a Leil Shimurim Hula Hashem. A night of keepings. A guarded night for Hashem. Lotziyam Eretz Mitzrayim to take us out of Egypt. That is this night of Hashem guarding for all the children of Israel for their generations. And those are the magic words. Leil Shimurim that I want to talk to you about this morning. What does it mean to be a guarded night? What does that reveal about Pesach night? And how does that impact our behavior on Pesach night? Says Rashi. But first we'll go through all these Mephorshim. Rashi, Rashbam, Sforna, Balaturim, and Orachayim, and so on. Says Rashi, source 2. Leil Shimurim Ula Hashem. What does it mean to be a knight of keeping, guarding? Shehaya Kodesh Baruch Hu Shomer Umetzapelo. God was keeping it in mind and looking forward to it. Lekayim Haftachaso Lotziyah Meretz Mitzrayim. In order to fulfill His promise to take them out of the land of Egypt. You know what Shimurim means? Shimurim means... Winter vacation's coming up soon. And my kids have little calendars next to their bed. And one of my daughters, my eight-year-old, has had her suitcase packed for two weeks. I'm not exaggerating. She has a little suitcase next to her bed, and she packed it two weeks ago. Next week is yeshiva week, is vacation. Why? Because it's a lel shimurim for her. She's been counting down looking forward with great anticipation, guarding, protecting, keeping, holding on to, cherishing this date that she can't wait for it to happen. Says Rashi, you know what Leil Shimurim Lashem means? From the six days of creation, from when God created the world, He has been holding on to, counting down towards, with great anticipation, this night, this fateful event, when He would bring the Jewish people out, to fulfill His promise, Lekayim Havtachaso, he made a promise. He made a promise. And believe me, in those 430 years, there were many days and years, months, that the Jewish people wondered and doubted whether God would fulfill that promise. But God all along said to Himself and to us, don't worry, I made you a promise, I'm good for it. I'm going to keep it. It was a little Shimon. He says, I've been holding on to this night. I've been counting down. I've been looking forward. Continues Rashi, Shimurim lechol b'nei Yisrael adorosam. The end of the pasuk it's repetitious, right? The pasuk began lel Shimurim Lashem, and it ends Lashem Shimurim. Why the repetition? Says Rashi, Mishumar uba. It's guarded from that time onward. Mina mazikim against harmful spirits. Kenyan shenemar v'loyitein amashkes v'gomer. It means not only is it lel Shimurim that God's counting down, but it's Shimurim lechol b'nei Yisrael. So, says Rashi, there's two aspects to Shimurim. That's why it's repeated twice. It's guarded, it's Shimurim. I would say here Shimurim means designated. It's designated from God's perspective. It's been on His calendar. He's had His countdown clock on it. He can't wait to take the Jewish people out to fulfill His promise. And it's designated from the Jewish people's perspective. L'chol B'nai Yisrael. In what sense? Says Rashi, Mina Mazikin. It's a special night of divine protection where we are not vulnerable, susceptible, exposed to harmful spirits. Okay? So Rashi explains Shimurim and he explains the double expression, the double usage of the expression. The Svarno and the Rashbam say similarly. Source 3. Svarno, Ravavadya Svarno. Shayim Metzapa Lotziyam, God was looking forward to taking them out. Kilo Ina Milibo. 
Why was it Shimurim? Really, God wanted to take them out earlier. But they weren't ready to be taken out. Spiritually, physically, time was not right. The same language that Hashem is Machashiv is He calculates the redemption. So that's what it means, Shimurim. God had made a promise, He held on to that promise, and He waited. He was excited. He, he, was, he was eager to fulfill the promise. But he was Shimurim, He was guarding it until the time was right. And the time wasn't right until that fateful night. It says the Rashbam Shmuel ben Meir, Rashi's grandson. From the time of their forefathers, God was holding on to this night. Now what does it mean, the second one? It means the Jewish people for generations. Says the Rashbam a little bit differently than his grandfather, but it's playing on the same theme. Leil Shimurim for God means God was holding on to this date with excitement. Leil Shimurim for Bnei Yisrael meant the Jewish people would revisit, would revisit the experience of that night each and every year by observing Pesach. So Shimurim lechol Bnei Yisrael ledorosam means for generation the Jewish people will guard, will protect, will hold on to that night to be able to recreate the and relive the experience of the Exodus. The Balaturim, Rav Yaakov ben Asher, the great Balaturim. Says, what does it mean? Lel Shimurim, Shimurim lechol bnei Yisrael, shechilak kashbarcho lel tazvav l'shnayim. Why does it say Shimurim twice? Suggests the Balaturim because God divided the night in two. He divided the concept of Shimurim, of redemption, in two. Chetzav liyitzias mitzrayim vechetzav asheni legeula laosid lavo. So he protected. It meant God has a a uh, reservoir of redemption. He withdrew half of it that night. And he left half of it there for the future redemption, the redemption of Yemosa Mashiach. So Balaturim says Shimurim meant he didn't empty his bank account that night. God did not drain the account to redeem us and use all of his redemptive energy. But Chilek, he divided, he divided redemption in two. The first experience of redemption took place when we left Mitzrayim that night. And the second half will be Lasud Lavo in the future when we experience Please God, soon upon us, the arrival of Mashiach. The arrival of Mashiach. Okay. And the Svarno again also suggests this. The second mention when the Svarno says, La Shimurim, says, Lugulas Yisrael Ha'atida. That that's what it means. Shimurim Lashem. The first Shimurim is of God, was Yitzhiyaz Mitzrayim. Shimurim Lachol Bnei Yisrael Adorosam means for the Jewish people to hold on to with anticipation for generations to know that there will be yet another redemption in the future. Says the Rashbam, beautifully another interpretation, Shimurim, Lashon Hamtana, to wait, patience. Kemo Vaviv Shamar Es Hadavar. In Bereshis, what's that referring to? If you turn back in your Chumash, Lamed Zayin Yud Aleph, in Bereshis, which is page 200 and, page 200, Vayikanu Bo Echav, Yaakov, uh, Yosef has his second dream. The brothers are jealous. jealous. But his father kept the matter in mind. His father was patient. Says the Rashbam, their shamar means the same thing it means here. Shamar hamtana. Patience. Waiting. 
God had waited. The Yorchaim HaKadosh, Reb Chaim Ben Atar, source number 8, has another interpretation of Leil Shimurim. Yechavein HaKadosh Lirmos, Hey Nisim Muflam Shazmanam Lailazu. Says the Yorchaim, what does it mean Shimurim? It means this is an auspicious night of redemption. It's not a coincidence. It's not by chance. It's not randomness that we left Egypt on this night. But it's a night designated in perpetuity as an auspicious night of redemption. And how do you know it? Says the Archaim, if you look back at our history, you'll see five miracles took place. Five miracles on this night. On this night, the 15th of Nisan. Number one, Bimei Avram, Kishihikas Arba Malacham, Ve'ichalek Aleim Laila. In Bereshis, we have the story of the, four, the war of the four kings and the five kings. Avram liberates his nephew Lot and the people of Sodom. When did it happen? Says the Archaim, our tradition is... Pesach night. Number two, we just read it. At midnight that night we left Egypt. Number three, Gavriel struck Sancheirev, the king of Assyria. When was this miracle? Pesach night. Number four, we have the story that... Uh, Achashverosh can't sleep and he calls for his book and uh, reminds himself the story of Mordechai and how he had not rewarded him and of course that is the entire catalyst of the miracle of Purim what was the night he was sleepless sleepless says the Orachayim it was Pesach night and lastly number five Geula Hasida the future redemption what is our tradition when will the redemption come when will Mashiach arrive in the month of Nisan Pesach night Pesach night. So says, and he elaborates further on this, but says the Orachayim, you know what Shimura means? It's an auspicious evening of redemption. God holds on to it. It's designated, internal, in the day itself, intrinsic within the day, is a redemptive quality, so much so that five separate miracles occurred that day. So moving from the period of the Rishonim, Rashi, the Rashbam, the Sforno, the Balaturim, the son of the Rush, to the period of later, the Orachayim, Reb Chaim Ibn Attar, who lived in Morocco and then in Yerushalayim, to contemporary times, Rav Moshe Sternbach, source number nine, Moshe Sternbach alive today, the uh, part of the um, of the Badats in Yerushalayim today, formerly of South Africa, says Rav Sternbach in his Tam Badas, source number nine. You know what it means, Leil Shimurim? Sha'yidei sipur yitzies mitzrayim balayla zeh Yisrael mischazkim be'emunasam L'tzapos b'cholais labias Mashiach t'ken yishiavu aleinu Shimurim l'bichol b'nei Yisrael l'dorasam means by getting together Pesach night and recounting the miracle of yitzies mitzrayim we strengthen one another to believe that no matter what's happening right now never give up. 430 years we were in Egypt. Over 200 years of that in slavery. We spent our time in bondage. Jewish children thrown in the Nile. Brutally murdered. And yet God took us out. No matter what the Jewish condition. And there are incredible stories of Jews in Auschwitz and other concentration camps on Seder night. Doing whatever they could to experience some form of Pesach. So what does it mean, Lel Shimurim? It's a night designated for us to be mechazek, to strengthen one another, to be shomer, to hold on to the promise of redemption, to believe that yet again, it will come, there will be redemption. Source 10, page 2. 
the final interpretation I want to share with you of what it means Lo Shemirim. And this comes from the teachings of Rabbi Shlomo Kalbach, who quotes an incredible teaching of the Ishbitzer Rebbe, the Beis Yankif. Says Rabbi Shlomo, and this is recorded in the Sefer Leiv HaShamayim, which Rabbi Shlomo didn't write, but they took Rabbi Shlomo's uh, teachings and they uh, recorded them and uh, published it in now what is a multi-volume set. So here he writes, we could read it, I'll translate because I think it's powerful, the way he writes it. He says, throughout the year, We experience highs throughout the year. They're infrequent for most people. They're unpredictable for most people. But there are highs. Shabbos Gavoa. You have an amazing Shabbos. Maybe you're with family or visiting or visiting other family. Maybe you heard a great Russia or Shir. Maybe you had an incredible cholent to potato kugel. Maybe you sang on real zmiros. You had a meal. You went for a walk. You have an experience of an incredibly high Shabbos. Rige chesed miyuchadim. You did a chesed which lifts you. Forget the recipient of the chesed. You're flying high. The chesed that lifts your spirits. You walked away from a davening where you felt intimacy, a rendezvous with the Almighty. But we struggle. We have these highs, but we struggle to hold on to them. What happens? They're fleeting. They disappear just as quickly as we experience them. So you had an amazing conversation, you had an amazing Shabbos, you had an amazing davening, you had an amazing shir, you had an amazing experience, a sunset, and you walked away so high, and within a few hours, within a day, it's gone. And we think it's gone forever. Then Pesach night comes. And all the highs that we experienced from the previous year, all of a sudden they come back. Not just because of the four cups of wine. But he means, more authentically, more authentically the highs from the previous year return. Says Rabbi Shlomo, that's pshat, Lel shimurim hu l'ashem. Esakol ribono shil olam shamar lanu. We thought they were lost. We thought we lost them forever. But those experiences, those moments... Those incredible highs, God was holding on to them. Leil Shimurim Lashem. Yesh Mashal Kokach Yafashal Abes Yankov. He says there's a fantastic parable of the Ishbitzer. Taru Laatzmachav Shishli Yelid. Imagine I have a child. Vaninosin Lo Million Dollar. I give him a million dollars. And the child plays with the million dollars. But as the child plays with the million dollars in cash, as he goes to school and walks in the street and goes bicycling and scootering and plays in the backyard with friends, but he drops some of the money. He drops the cash. Until the end, the kid yells, Gewalt! He bought a million dollar! After a day or a week, the kid says, I look back! I lost it! You know the incredible statistics of lottery winners? How many of them within a year are bankrupt? They win the lottery and they look a, million, a year later and they say, Gewalt! Ibarati, I lost a million dollars! Az Omer Lo'aviv, imagine the father turns to the kid at that moment and says, Don't worry. All throughout the time I was following behind you. And every time you dropped a little money, I picked it up. Here's the million dollars back. It's for you. Belay Lazes says the Ishbitzer, on this night, Pesach night, Kadosh Baruch Hu is Kol Ibadna. Hashem returns everything that we dropped. We had a precious moment with family, 
and we dropped it. Within a day, we forgot about it. Pesach night, God reminds us. He hands it back. We had an incredible davening. We had an incredible experience. We dropped it. We forgot about it. Pesach night, God hands it back. Lo yuman, it's not believable. Atem yodim kamaza amuk. You know how deep this is. We always think that we lost so much in life. We didn't lose it. There's a reservoir. There's a safety deposit box. There's a safe that God collects our most precious memories, experiences, feelings, and highs that we thought are fleeting. We thought they're gone. He holds on to them. He protects them. He returns them to us on Pesach night. Says Rabbi Shlomo, quoting the Ishbitzer, Lel Shimurim Hul Hashem. It's a night of divine protection. Means to be a Shomer as a guard. God is guarding. He holds on to. He protects these incredible highs. So we saw many, many different interpretations. What does Lel Shimurim mean? This seemingly benign pasuk seemingly insignificant pasuk in the text. Yeah, we left Egypt. We were there 430 years. It was, a, it was a wonderful night. We left next. Really, it's very significant. Rashi told us the difference between the first Shimurim and second Shimurim. The first one, God was anticipating fulfilling His promise. The second means that the Jewish people are protected from harmful spirits. The Rashbam says, no, the first one is for God. He counted down. The second one is for us. That we experience Pesach every year. So the Sfarno... We weren't ready until that night. That's why God had to hold on. The Balaturim who says Lashimurim twice, because God divided the, divided the Shmira in two. Redemption comes in segments. First segment, first, the first withdrawal was to take us out of Egypt. But there still remains in the bank account of redemption so that God can take us out with Mashiach. The Svarno says also a hint to the future redemption. We saw the Orachayim HaKadosh. Lel Shimurim means it's not a chance evening, but it's an auspicious evening, rich with pregnant with redemptive quality. And therefore five miracles occurred on that night. We saw Rav Sternbach who says Lel Shimurim means a night designated for us to give chizuk one to the other, to remember now how, no matter how horrific condition may be, God can bring redemption. And finally, we saw Rabbi Shlomo quoting the Ishbitzer, who says, Lel Shimura means that even when we think we've lost those highs that we've experienced throughout the year, God has collected them, guards them, protects them, and returns them to us on Pesach night. Okay, so that's the first half of what I want to discuss with you this morning. Some interpretations of the Mepharshim, and what does it mean, Lel Shimura. But I want to share with you now a number of examples of how Leil Shimurim impacts our very observance of that night. It's not just a nice vort from Shlomo or Shlombach or these Rishonim for you to say at the Seder table. Leil Shimurim, here's what it means. Not just a nice vort on our Parsha, but it actually makes its way, expresses itself in our conduct, in our behavior that very night. And some of the examples I'm going to mention now were shared with me by Rabbi J.J. Shachter, others I saw in miscellaneous others forum. Source 11. First of all, Many of us are familiar with, if I had to ask you, if I woke you in the middle of the night and said, which month of the Jewish calendar are we most likely to be redeemed? Will Mashiach come? What would you say? You said Nisan. How do you know that? Nisan Nigalu, Nisan Asidin Lehigoel. Says the Gemara Rosh Hashanah Daf Yodalef. Minalan, how do I know, Rabbi Yoshua, that the Geula Asida, the future redemption will happen in Nisan? Amar Krashtet Napasuk Leil Shimurim. It's a night of anticipation. Leil HaMeshumar Uba Mishishis Yemei This was the Gemara that Rashi was quoting. It means a night 
that was dedicated, designated since the six days of creation. So we see that just like the first redemption came in Nisan, so to the final redemption. So from this puzzle comes the promise that the future redemption will be in Nisan. Next. Source 12. The Gemara Psachim Kuftes. On that night, the Mishnah says in Arabic Psachim, very first Mishnah of the 10th parak of Psachim, Lo yifchasulo me'arba kosos. Even the indigent, impoverished, poor person on Seder night, I might have thought, you know, Seder night, freedom, royalty, we're dignitaries, we are aristocracy. Who should drink four cups of wine and exhibit freedom? A rich person, person of means, person who's comfortable. Right? You know, the famous doctor comes in to the patient, he's lying in the hospital bed, he says, Are you comfortable? The patient says, I make a living. Okay, anyway, so you think, who should, nobody laughs at my jokes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Baruch Hashem. Essie, you're always invited. So, sit in the front row too. So, uh, Pesach night, I think, who should drink the four cups? Somebody who's comfortable. Someone who makes a living. But the poor person, I have to raise stock of money to, to purchase four cups of good wine for this poor person. Misha says, yeah. Even the poor person that night is rich. Everyone's free. Everyone's royalty. Don't deny him the four cups. So on this Mishnah, the Gemara raises an issue of something called zugos, pears. So we have a tradition that there's something called zugos. There's, there are negative spiritual forces in the world. This is a big discussion if you learn the Daf and Brachos. We came across this at length. And in Psachim here, you have a big discussion, the 10th parak as well, of mystical spiritual negative forces. We, we, we had a lunch and learn recently on Ayin Hara. It's a similar concept. Do we believe in Ayin Hara? So the Rambam says none of this exists. These Gemaras are, are allegorical, they're metaphorical, they're not real. It can only impact the person who believes in them. It's placebo. If you believe in negative energy out there, so it's self-fulfilled prophecy, you're going to bring about your own negativity, you're going to bring about your own uh, toxic uh, result and therefore it only applies to the person who believes in it that's the Rambam's perspective however many others say no it's true there are these negative forces out there and we say Kriya and we, we do all these things in our daily living in order to combat in order to negate these negative forces so one of these negative forces takes advantage of that which comes in pairs this negative spiritual force in the world thrives on thrives on even numbers. <laughs> on pears, zugos. So the Gemara wants to know, how could the rabbis institute drinking four cups of wine? That's dangerous. Because if you do things in pears, you're going to be vulnerable to negative spiritual. Vatanya, we learn in Abraisa, lo yochal adam trey, don't eat two things, v'lo yishta trey, v'lo yikanach trey, don't drink two, don't, don't wipe oneself in pairs, v'lo yasa trachav trey, take your reason, don't do things in pairs, because pairs, that number, that methodology, is the, is the uh, invitation to this negative influence. So how could you have four cups of wine on Pesach night? That four is two times two, that's a pair, and you're going to welcome the negative force. Amar of Nachman says, Rav Nachman, Amar Kra, Lel Shimurim, Lel Mazikin. What are you worried about? The Mazikin, these negative forces, they can't hurt you. Pesach night, you're protected. Lel Shimurim. Pesach night is a night of divine protection, not just homiletically, but practically. 
that which we need to concern ourselves with the rest of the year, namely, doing things in pairs, mazikin, spiritual forces, we need not concern ourselves with on Pesach night. Why? Because it's a leil shimur. Source 13. Says the Shibole Aleket. Shibole Aleket is one of the Rishonim, is one of the medieval uh, commentators. Says the Shibole Aleket, Hayu osin ayom, uh, so, why do we say on that night, um, we say halach ma'anya in Aramaic? Why don't we say in Hebrew? All of a sudden, we introduce the Seder with this Aramaic paragraph. So, the Shibboleth like quotes a suggestion that the Mazikin, look at the third line, Tam Achem Ne Mazikin. Because the mazik and these negative forces understand Hebrew but not Aramaic. So if we would say it in Hebrew, everyone who's hungry come and eat, they would hear, and they would come to our meal, and they would undermine it. They would be uh, introduce mad cow disease. They would introduce uh, spoiling the food. They would uh, spill the wine. They would ruin our meal. So how do we make sure they don't show? Therefore, we say so they won't understand. And the Shibboleth Aleket says that can't be the reason why, because it's Lel Shemurim. On this night, Pesach night, we have no fear, we have no worry about the Mazikin. We're not vulnerable. They are impotent. They can't do anything to us that night. Why? Lel Shemurim. It's a night of divine protection. Example number two, B, source fourteen, says the Shulchan Aruch. We just learned in Mishnah Buryomi two days ago. We just learned in Mishnah Buryomi. The halach, uh, re, I'm sorry, Reish Lamites. The halach is Krishma Lamita. When you go to sleep at night, we say Shema. And, strictly speaking, all you need to say is Shema and the bracha of Hamapil. But we have a custom of saying a number of other things while lying in bed. A few of them very beautiful, by the way. One of them is, we're mochel, we forgive anyone who hurt us that day. The concept of never going to sleep angry is a Jewish concept. Incorporated within the practice of Krishna Malamita is a ritual of forgiving anyone who hurt you. Don't go to sleep angry. It's not good for you, and it's not good for them. It's in the text. If you look at Krishna Malamita in the Siddur, you'll see, Harani Mocha, it's in the text. I forgive, I grant forgiveness. I ask forgiveness and I grant forgiveness to anyone who hurt me. And in the Krishna Malamita, we are instructed to evaluate the day. What I do right today, what I do wrong today, how did today go well, where could it have gone better. Beautiful rituals as we fall asleep. It sure beats counting sheep. But one of the things about, we say Shema, we say Hamapil, and then we have all of these verses which were instituted. Hebejibi, here verses, say it three times, say it seven times, say it standing on your head. All this Hebejibi stuff. Why? All instituted to protect us from the mazikim, these forces. Says the Ramad of Moshe Isla, 16th century Krakow. You know what? Seder night, you're off easy. All you have to say is Shema. Don't say the Hebejibi verses. You don't have to say all these psukim. Why? Leel Shimurim. That which we need to protect ourselves from all the other nights, we're not vulnerable. Pesach night, just say Shema, you're good to go. Source 15, the Machtis Shekel. Not a problem. Minagisra Torah, source 16. 
Does this apply only to the first night of Pesach? Is the second night of Pesach also Leil Shimurim in Chutz Laaretz? Says the Minag Yisrael Torah, yes, absolutely. Says Lavush. Even though really it's only the 15th of Nisan, which is Leil Shimurim. In Israel there's only one night of Seder. But says the Lavush, in Chutz Laaretz, both nights have the quality of Leil Shimurim to the extent that we're not vulnerable to the Mazikin. All you have to say is Shema. You don't have to say all the Hebrew Psukim. So that is Nafkamina, that is example number two. Example number one was the Shiboli Aleket rejecting the reason that Halachmani is in Aramaic is you're worried about the Mazikin. Can't be. Lil Shimurim. Example number two was Shema, and you need not say all the other things. Example number three. Friday night after the Amida, what do we say in Shul? Vayichulu, which follows with what we call the Birchas Me'ein Sheva. What's the Birchas Me'ein Sheva? Is. Magenavos. Magenavos. Why do we say Magenavos on Friday night? You don't say it on Saturday night through Thursday night. Why do we say it Friday night? For a very simple reason. Because people came late to shul and they were catching up. Marv is pretty quick. If we would finish and head out, these individuals, these latecomers, these stragglers would have to walk home alone and they would be vulnerable. They would be exposed to the elements. So we add Magenavos to keep us there a few extra minutes so that we escort everyone we walk home together, unified as one. No one is vulnerable. What happens when Pesach night falls on a Friday night? Do you have to say Magenavos? Says the tour, source 17, Kasav Balaitur Hashem Rabbeinu Nisim, Shekeshechal Shabbos, Ein Omer Bracha Me'in Sheva, Shenizkana B'Shvil Ma'achem B'Besach Kines Shleazikam Ma'azikam, Vo'edna Ein Sarach Tolel Shimurim Hu. Every other Friday night, these stragglers are going to walk home alone. They're going to meet some hoodlums in the park. They're toast. But Friday night that falls on Pesach, we're protected from Hashem. There's no problem. And in fact, this is Halacha Lamaisa. We incorporate this in Halacha. Says the Shulchan Aruch, Simen Tov Pesayin, Source 18, Ein Omrim Birchas Me'in Sheva. When Pesach falls on Friday night, in Shul, we do not recite Magen Avos. As the Mishnah Bura, why? We say Vayichulu, we say Kadesh Aleinu, we leave out Magen Avos, because that Friday night, let the stragglers walk home alone. They will not be vulnerable. It's a Lil Shimurim. Yes, Hensha. Don't the angels accompany home from Shul Friday night? Oh. Why do you say Shalom That's a good question. Maybe not the stragglers. They're on their own. Good question. Some of the angels walk home with everyone else who was there on time. And they're waiting at the door for the straggler who gets there a little bit late because he came late to show. Okay, D. So the fourth example of Lel Shimurim in a practical sense. Fascinating. Anyone know why we have salt at the Shabbos table? Not the Shabbos table. Why we have salt at the table? Says Tosfos, source 20. Tosfos and Brachos, Daf Memo Manalaf. What happens? Everyone's washing. The first person to wash is sitting at the table, 
twiddling their thumbs, waiting for those people who can't interrupt their conversation to wash and get to the table. They're waiting and waiting and waiting. And what happens, says Rabbeinu Menachem, quoting the Medrash, when you sit at the table, you're not doing a mitzvah, you're bored, you're not telling the Torah, you're not singing Zmiros, you're not eating the Shabbos Suda, you're just sitting there silent, doing nothing. You're vulnerable. You're vulnerable to the Sutton, Sutton who seeks to strike you. So how do you protect yourself? When there's salt on the table, it recalls the bris melach, the covenant of salt, of the mizbeach, and that provides protection. Says the Leket Yosher, source 21, Do you put, do you dip your matzah in salt on Pesach night? Says the Leket Yosher, You don't dip your matzah in salt. Why? There's no need for salt on Pesach night. It's The Satan can't do anything to you. We're not vulnerable to the Satan, to the foreign influences on Pesach night. We don't dip the matzah. And the Ramah quotes the Salach Olamaisa, source 22. Rav Moshe Isilis, the Halachic authority of Ashkenazim. Ein hamina glatavlam b'melech balayla rishona. To pass naki ein sarach melech. We don't dip the matzah in salt Pesach night. He gives a different reason. Matzah is pas uh, naki. But the Leke Yosher gave the reason we don't use salt with the matzah Seder night. Leal Shemurim. God protects us. We don't need to invoke the bris melach. That's the fourth practical difference. Okay, we dip to Forget dipping. You could sprinkle salt. We don't sprinkle or dip. That's it. You're hung up on dipping. We don't sprinkle salt either. I understand, but I'm saying not because of the manishtana. Because you could sprinkle the salt. It says we only dip twice. It doesn't say anything about sprinkling. You could drip the salt on. But the reason is because of Lel Shimurim. Source 23. The Otsar Gaonim. Another practical consequence. A fifth practical consequence. And this one I don't necessarily recommend trying at home. The Otsar Gaonim. The Gaonim quote. From the period of the Gaonim. You know the period of the Gaonim is? The... Uh, 10th century, 9th century, 10th century, 11th century. Period of the Goni. Matzasim in Megillah Storm. He says, I found Seder night, Jews need not lock their doors. Jews need not turn on the alarm for Pesach. Why? Why? Look at the Kos of Rabbeinu Nisim Reb Nisim Gaon writes, "Shalolino glossos abatim b'leli psachim kizosi ayemuna kidabra v'lakarishbar shalakarishbarachu kidvaro shalakarishbarachu uftahavtachaso uveschara amuna anu zochin legeula." In the merit of expressing our faith in God, that that night is a night of protection, and how do we affirm our faith that it's a night of protection? We leave that door wide open. In the merit of believing that it is an auspicious night of protection, we will merit. The future redemption. Leave the door unlocked, says Reb Nisim Gaon. Source 24, the Manig, Sefer Amanig. Again, we leave the door. So therefore, when he comes, he won't have to knock, and we won't have to fumble to find the key. The door will be unlocked, the door will be open. 
Eliyahu Navi can visit every house simultaneously, but he can't come down the chimney. I don't know, that's beyond me, but okay. Let's leave that aside for the moment. Sumi Eliyahu Navi has to walk through the front door, and it has to be unlocked, and it has to be open. Okay, leave that aside for the moment, but it's the image, it's the symbol of it. Reb Nisim Gon says, Leil Shimurim. It's an act of divine protection. The other 364 days a year, I'm worried about hoodlums. I'm worried about robbers and thieves. I'm worried about setting my alarm. I'm worried about locking the door. That night, leave the door open. Says the Ramah again, source 25. We have the custom of Shochamascha pouring our wrath against our enemies. Right, when we stand for the cup of Eliyahu, to stand at the, em- at the opening to remember it's a night of protection. You don't have to worry. Now, again, for us in Boca Raton, Florida, where 51% of the population are Jewish, where in Boca del Rey there are 120,000 Jews. If you open the door for Shvoch HaMascha, the likelihood is you're going to hear Shvoch HaMascha from your neighbor. It's not exactly taking a great risk. But if you lived in 1930s in Warsaw, in Berlin, in Krakow, and you opened your door on Seder night and started singing Shvoch HaMascha L'Gayim, whew, you were taking a great risk. Says the Shachanach, it's a Lel Shimurim. It's a Lel Shimurim. Now I will just add... The Chok Yaakov, it's source 27. He does add, Ein Noag in Cain, Laniach Pesach Pasuach, Kishchiach Hezekah. He says, yeah, when is this whole thing true? It's all nice and well, but do it smart, do it intelligently. When it's Ein Ashchiach Hezekah. So if you live in Boca, leave the door open, and it's a beautiful idea that Lel Shimurim, a night of divine protection, and we're affirming our belief in Hashem, and so on. But the Magan Avrams quotes this Chok Yaakov, the same concept in source 28, and he says, if you live in a dangerous neighborhood, don't bank on this. When the Gemara uses this expression often, Gemara says, God promises if you do A, B, and C, you'll be protected, unless you're in a bad neighborhood, and this often happens, then don't bank on it. In other words, don't be stupid. Don't be stupid. So this idea of Lel Shimurim, we found, finds itself in many ways. We saw five or six different examples of what Lel Shimurim means. Rashi, Rashbam, Sforna, Balaturim, the Orachayim HaKadosh, Rav Sternbach, Shlomo, in the name of the Ishbitzer. And then we saw, we saw a sum total of five different practical consequences of it being Lel Shimurim. Number one, Halach Ma'anya. Number two, not having to say all the verses of Krishma Lamita, only Shema. Number three, if Pesach falls on Friday night, you don't say Magen Avos. If number four, you don't dip the matzah in salt, we don't need to rely on the bris melach, the covenant of the salt, because we're not vulnerable to the sutton. And number five, leaving the door open, because it's Lel Shimurim, it's a night of divine protection, and we have no fear. So, wishing everyone a Chag Kasher Have a happy Pesach. <laughs>